Welcome to the Execution Zone podcast, where we delve behind the scenes on the stories of successful entrepreneurs and leaders. We understand how they translated their ideas and strategies into strongly executed campaigns, overcame the barriers to execution on their journey, and how they play a high-performance game to get results in their business. Welcome to this week's episode of the Execution Zone podcast. I'm Abby White. This week, we have got the absolutely incredible Mark LeBusque. Mark is universally known as the human manager and has written books including Being Human and The Little Book of Human, which have challenged the way that managers and organizations view the value of the 100-year-old management system and has sparked a more human approach to leadership across the globe. Now, I am really, really, really excited for you to hear this conversation with Mark because I think it is so relevant given the past couple months that we've all been through and how we are starting to see the sort of emergence of being more human as a manager and the power of being more human having people's kids drop into their zoom meeting or their dogs or whatever it might be and starting to see the more human side to some of our leaders so in this episode you'll hear us talk about the seven steps to being a human manager how it was in the first place that mark actually became known as the human manager some of the steps that you can take to get started to make some of the changes to your leadership style to being more human. We also talk about the power of how to get results. And actually, by being, we are more successful at doing. And we go through that ethos and that mindset with Mark. We then talk to how you can get your team on board and how we can start to get teams to change and and face and overcome some of these resistance to change that we see. We then talk a little bit more about what is your part in the mess and this being a really, really, really key questions for leaders to ask themselves. And this one I particularly love and it's actually something that's really stuck with me well beyond recording of this podcast. And then finally, we talk about how we learn best when we're being stretched and how we actually do that. You know, what's what's the limit? How do we stretch enough but not too far and get people into the right zone that's optimal for their own learning? This conversation is so powerful. So I cannot wait for you to sit back, grab your coffee, grab your pad and pen and enjoy. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. This week we have got Mark LeBusque, which I'm told sounds fancy, but actually he's a certified bogan. So he's just ruined it for me. (laughs) Mark is an internationally known Mark is internationally known as the human manager and his proven techniques for elevating leaders and energizing employees make him an internationally sought after speaker, facilitator, mentor and coach. His books, which I am reading at the moment and loving, Being Human and The Little Book of Human, have challenged the way managers and organizations view the value of the 100-year-old management system and has sparked a more human approach across the globe, which I can absolutely vouch for having started getting dug into those. Um, Mark's developed and refined his human manager model over a 25-year career in sales operations and general management, delivering measurable improvements in employee engagement, team performance, and business results, even in today's climate of fast-paced change. He has an innate ability to speak and seek the truth, provoke humans to step into their own reality, and skillfully combines practicality and simplicity with textbook theory. Mark is a Harvard Business School trained educator and accredited practitioner in adaptive leadership and instincts at work, as well as certified bogan. Welcome, Mark. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing introduction. I love the bogan bit. Uh, thanks for having me, Abby. It's great to be part of your podcast. 
I am. Yeah, I don't think I've ever introduced anyone as a certified bogan. That's a first for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I just, uh, you know, before we, we really kicked off, I did say that I get introduced on stage. In fact, I insist on them putting that in because part, once something that's important to me is turning up as as the person that you are, and that's that's what I am. <laughs> I was having to explain to Mark, um, well, firstly, my mistake that I don't pressure record as soon as we start talking. But secondly, that a couple of years ago, um, a bogan would have been completely lost on me as a Brit. I just had no idea what that concept meant. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Australia. Thank you. Thanks for educating me. And look, Mark, I am really excited to have you on because, as I said, I've been getting stuck into your books and I just related to so much of it, um, having come from a corporate background um, and definitely had some challenges sort of being promoted and stepping into a management and then leadership roles. I, I definitely can relate to some of what you talk to. Um, so I'm excited to get stuck into that as we go. But I want to start by just almost getting everyone on the same page, bringing everyone up to speed a little bit more into your background, your journey and how you became known as the human manager. Can you share a bit more with us? Yes, certainly. So um, let me go back to, um, so I, I say I grew up in in um, in a country town on the, the Mildura, which borders on the Murray River between Victoria and New South Wales. Um, and mm-hmm. when I went off to school, one of the things that happened at school, I was really, really, um, I guess, impacted by, by great teachers and great role models. So um, I decided at an early age I was going to become a, a teacher, which is what I did. I became a, a primary school teacher, so teaching five to 11-year-old kids, um, particularly in the phys ed part. I was a big sporty as a, as a younger guy, so my, my role model was my phys ed teacher, a guy called Peter O'Toole. And I went off to teacher's college. Um, I did my three years there. I became uh, a teacher and then went out to teach. And I think this was my first... Um, glance at what workplaces could be like when they were toxic because I loved it in the classroom with my, t- with my kids but I hated the staff room and it was, there was a toxicity in there. So I ended up only lasting about uh, 15 months in teaching and left that, then, then took a job through the old jobs for the boys type, you know, network as they, they still around today. I took a job loading planes and driving trucks for TNT uh, in Adelaide and and then, as you mentioned before, alluded to, I actually started to get promoted because I could do things. So I went from afternoon shift to customer service, and then I went from customer service into sales, and then I went to sales into branch management, and then you know into general management roles because I did all the right things. I nodded at the right time. I you know I did all that stuff that was was required of me as a manager to to help me get through the place. And um, I got to a point at twenty nine where I got to where I wanted to get to as a state manager, title was everything for me, and then I got made redundant. Um, and then I'm going to say I floated around for about 10 years, um, going to the competition, thinking it would be different but acting the same way. And uh, ultimately, about 12 years ago, I decided for some reason um, that what would happen if I treated my people more like human beings? And and hence the human manager thing started for two years. I treated my people more like humans. I literally did everything against what I'd been taught in the system about how to treat people. And what we saw was incredible business results. And I guess that name, and I'm going to say this, this is this is self-indulgent. That's a self-appointed title, the human manager. No one gave that to me but myself. And um, I sort of thought when I left corporate, I thought I'm going to have to call myself something. And I called myself the human manager, much to the disgust and ridicule of many of my uh, peers. But 
as I'm six years out of there now and doing this work, it seems to seems to fit very, very nicely. But it was embarrassing early on. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think what related um there are so much of it related for me in the you know, when I was back in corporate, I was sort of doing well at my job. Um, I was getting really, really good results. And so because of that, you get promoted. And so I got promoted into the sales management roles and international sales manager and so on, because you're good at doing what you're doing, which doesn't necessarily mean you're then good at leading a team. Uh, so that definitely related to me as well. And I also found it interesting. I had a bit of a mini um I don't even know what the right word to use is, so I'm going to call it a thing. That's my my word for anything. I don't know what to call it. At 30, when I said, right, I'm going to exactly the same as you. I'm going to get to this um, this job title. I want to get to this, and this is what I'm going to achieve. And I did it all by 30, and then went, oh, okay. Mm. Not quite as rewarding as it feels, as you think it's going to feel. And uh, now what? So I just relate so much to it. So tell us where it's kind of gone for you from, from there. So you've gone through yeah. that like you said, and then now you've come into the human manager. Like, how is that now shaping up for you? Yeah, it's, it's been really weird, you know, because if I reflect back to six years ago when I sort of October the 1st, 2014, when I woke up after I'd taken my second redundancy and I'm like, I, I had a bit of a plan in my head, Abby, as to what I was going to do. Um, but then I'm like, well, what happens now? So I first thing I did was write a book. Um, I, I had so much time at my sleeve. I wasn't, you know, people weren't busting my door down to get me to come and help them become better leaders. So for the first three to six months, limited face-to-face work, lots of writing, lots of blogging, you know, wrote, the, wrote being human in about three to four months, um, created a thing that I now call the human manager experience, which is a, a, a two-day sort of, well, I'm going to call it a two-day look in the mirror for the people that come along to it. Mm. Um, and, and sort of from there, it's, it's opened up into the two things that I offer. There's a human manager experience. There's another thing I offer called provoking with purpose, um, which is about going in and working with teams that act like they're getting on well together. They, you know, you, you know how you can you can pick those teams that they all smile at each other and do all the right things, and when they go to the water cooler, they have different conversations. My, my mm-hmm. role there is to is to bring up the things that are happening in the room that no one wants to talk about. Um, so there's a bit of provocation. Uh, there's some speaking. I've, I've been fortunate now to, you know, to speak in um, Washington, D.C., in New York and Amsterdam and, you know, some places I would have thought six years ago I'd never get to. Um, and, you know, second books happened as well. I, I sort of have a lot of pinch myself moments now because um, I, I'm going to say that the 25 years before doing this, whilst I wasn't always happy with the way the system worked. The system was good to me. The system taught me some really valuable lessons on how to manage people and how not to manage people. So I'm fortunate that I'm able to take that and then, you know, use that in in, in what I do today. Yeah. And explain to us, and I appreciate it's a big topic, the concept around human management and being human. And I love um, you talked about actually by being, we're more successful at doing. So can you talk to us about sort of essentially the approach and the concept? Sure. So, so if, I, if I, you roll it all the way back to, to how, we're, how we're built, and, and this has happened for thousands and thousands of years, my, I, my work starts from the premise of two things. Human beings is a social animal. They want, they, want a deep, they want to build deep connection with other human beings. Um, 
the workplace is one place we can do that. And they also want to build a strong sense of belonging. So connection and belonging are what underpin being human. And the work that I do, and it might sound a bit fluffy to people, but it's about helping people to understand how if you can start to tap more into being human, as in we are human beings, um, but what's happened is over time we've become human doings. So this idea that and I call it humanovation, that this, you know, I hear innovation all the time. I'm a bit sick of that word. And I say, before we can innovate, we need to humanovate, which means we actually need to change ourselves from being caught up with our to-do lists, which are important, I get that, and create what I call it a to-be list. So I'll give you an example for today. I know what I've got to do today, and, and at 10 o'clock, I, what I had to do was to come onto a podcast with you. So tick that off, easily to do. What I've then got to really importantly think about is how am I going to choose to be during this experience? Can I? Will I choose to be arrogant? Will I choose to be present and... Well, so, so there's choices that we have to make and what I'm trying to help people with through this human manager experience is, is to get them to understand that if you get the being right and the way you turn up and the way you behave, the doing stuff happens so much better, particularly when you're a manager. Um, if you can turn up and be really aware of how you actually show up, um, then the work will be better. So that's the, that's sort of the premise behind it. And then... And then I get into the, you know, the, what I call the seven practical steps to breaking down different phases of the things I used to be taught on how to manage. I've changed them and, and sort of made them a bit more, I call it a bit more human than than, uh, than, than the sort of the textbook compliance-based, um, you know, management 101 stuff. Yeah. Can you, I know it's a big topic, but can you share the seven steps with us sort of briefly run us through it? Yeah, very, I'll do it very, very briefly. So I want people, I want the, the, if the listeners imagined, I looked at it, I call it rewiring and, and you imagine it like this. If you bought a hundred year old house and you hadn't rewired it, the house would burn down. The thing is we work in a hundred year old management system that was bought in when we used to stand in production lines and, you know, hammer things in and, and we were seen as units of labor rather than as humans. And, so what I basically say is if you had a house that was 100 years old and you didn't rewire it, it would burn down. The same thing is happening in our workplaces. Literally, they burn down through um, low engagement scores. Engagement scores haven't improved employee engagement for 40 years. That's the Gallup research. Demotivated people, um, stressed out managers, stressed out um, workers, um, no balance, no work-life balance. You know, there's all this stuff going on. So... What I looked at, and if I look at it as a house, the foundation of the house is trust. So we, I start the, the first point I start at is trust. And, and this is a really hard one for people to, to accept. As I say, I had to change my mindset from I'm going to trust you when you do something that shows me you're capable to I'm just going to trust you to turn up to do good work. So that was the foundation. And then from building trust, step one was about creating a safety net, allowing people to experiment and to challenge um, step two was about creating what I call a clear purpose. So rather than here's your position description, sit down with your people and talk to them about here's how you're relevant and here's how you contribute to our business as an individual all the way up to what that does for the organisation. Step three is about reframing what leadership is and leadership is not a title, it's actually a verb. So leadership, when it's a verb, it means everyone can can do something that demonstrates leadership. So getting my people to understand that 
they could demonstrate leadership without a title. Number four was what I called listen and learn, which was about getting to know your people first. And in these COVID times, there's a strange switch at the moment to we're actually talking more to the people about things outside of work than we ever have. So, you know, my idea there is get to know your people rather than just get to know them as, a, as an output. Number five is the old uh, chestnut nut of work-life balance, is that work should never define you um, and give your people a chance to and permission to be able to build a life around their work as well that can allow them to be better at work. Step six is what I call unlocking potential and stop pigeonholing people. So, you know, you would know this. If you were good in sales, your sales manager would want to keep you even though you might have had aspirations to go somewhere else. In, in my seven steps, what I say to people is good managers, good human managers, encourage their people to stretch themselves to go and do other things and, and don't try and hang on to them to make themselves look good. And then the last step is um, what, I, what I do call stretch to learn. This comes from my, my um, studies in teaching of studying about, you know, um, how we learn best and we learn best by being stretched. So I say that a good human manager in step seven will, will make their people comfortably uncomfortable and stretch them. And, and a simple example might be this, that, that you might be in my team, Abby, and I say, this week, Abby, I want you to run our weekly meeting. And you're like, oh, geez, I've never done that before, but I'm doing that to help you develop. So in essence, I hope that was as brief as I could make it. They're the seven steps, but it must start with, with trust. I, I do love that. I've just made several notes and highlighted them. <laughs> Um, funny actually because I'm reading it in the book but when you say it there's certain things as well that go oh and like sort of have light bulb moments I love that you start with trust and this was actually a big learning for me when I first sort of went into sort of management roles and so on I had one of my team one of the nicest things one of my team ever said to me was I had this guy who worked for me who was from Singapore and he'd done um, some of the army service um, you know time um, in Singapore and he said to me and I'm going to butcher this but he said they had an expression around the fact of when they had a level of respect and trust for someone I would stand on the front line for you and he came to me this guy who was not that emotional you know ex-army and came to me and said I would stand you know I would stand on the front line for you and I had that level of trust that when I said I was going to go out to bat for him and do whatever I was going to do he trusted that I would do it and that I had the right intentions behind it but it was a big lesson for me because I don't think that naturally clicked initially that when I first got the role that hey you've got to build that it doesn't just come overnight mm. so talk to us about that how so if you want to get started on those seven steps and you want to start with trust it sounds great but how do you actually start to do that um, we did talk a little bit just before we kicked off today about um, the importance of this work starts with self. So, you know, you can take all of the most wonderful ideas on trust out to your people, but if you don't believe it yourself or you haven't experimented on yourself, um, what happens is humans have great bullshit detectors, Abby. So they'll, they'll, they'll detect your bullshit from a mile away. So, so here's how it worked for me is I actually just, I say just, not just, I had to change my story about trust too, I'm going to trust is now given. And I told my people this, I'm going to trust you because I think you turn up with good intention to do great work and to help us be successful as a team. Um, rather than I'm going to trust you when you sign up the next great big deal that shows me that you're capable. Now, here's the challenge here. 
some of the people that were in my team, I'd had some issues with along the way about trust. And, and I'd created some of those issues as well. So it wasn't just them, I couldn't trust them. I'd done some things to them that weren't great along the way. And all of a sudden I'm turning up saying, we need to trust each other. So you've got to put it out there to start with. And then the really important thing is you better start to demonstrate it. Like if, if you say, I trust you, when the first thing goes a little bit wrong for someone, you don't start tearing strips off them and saying you're useless and you're hopeless and I could have done that myself. You've got to go... I call it I call it the the subtle art of management duality. Sometimes you've got to hug your people and kick them in the ass at the same time. <laughs> so so this this ability it's in my in my first book actually this ability to I, I still trust you that you were doing this with good intention, but I'm also going to have to give you a bit of a kick in the ass to let you realise that I'm coming from a good place with this, but it's not all kumbaya and you know wonderful unicorns getting all around the place at times trust and having your back means I need to pull you back into line as well so starting with yourself but also not just not being naive to the fact that you don't also have to do some pretty hard stuff too and what we were talking about annoyingly that I have recorded and you know note to self um was also about stopping and taking a look in the mirror and I was sort of sharing one of the lessons I'd had is someone said whenever anything's going wrong in your business that you don't like stop and look in the mirror and go what did you do to cause that and most of the time or 9.999 times out of 10 you can trace it back so so talk to us about that looking in the mirror piece yeah um so another big thing that I guess a big uh, piece for me when I first started this experiment, the question being what would happen if I treated my people like humans, I had to actually, the, the first experiment had to be me and then what I had to do, and I'm going to, this is, a, this is a, a question that was put to me by an amazing um, professor from the Harvard Kennedy School, Marty Linsky. He's a professor in adaptive leadership. I was out there doing some work in 2014 and I was bitching and moaning about something at the time. You know, all these things are happening in the business and blah, 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 you know, this person did this and this person did that. And he sort of stood there and he paused for a moment and then he looked at me and he said, uh, he said, Mark, he said, what's your part in the mess? And, and I went, no, you don't understand. And then he said the question again. And then I'm like, Marty, you, you, you're not hearing what I'm saying. And he, I think he said it to me six times, Abby, and in, and and. Uh, pissing me off at the time that he wouldn't listen to my pity party story. But when I went went back home to my room that night over at, um, in Boston, I was sort of laying there thinking, that's where I've got to start. Um, unless I'm prepared to look into the mirror and to understand and explore my part in the mess, I'm going to keep doing what I used to do, which was blame other people, um, woe is me, the system's doing this to me. I can't play the politics. Da 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 da. da. So um, the greatest advice I give to my every client I coach one to one, or that when I work with intact teams, or when they come to my program, when someone starts to tell me that, oh, you know, woe is me, and this is happening, I, I will stop and I'll just go, "What's your part in the mess?" The thing that I see is the exact reaction that I had in Boston in 2014. It's like, no, 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 not it's not me. Until you can accept that you have a part in the mess, I think it's really hard to be able to elevate yourself past being a good technical manager into a truly human manager. Yeah, I love that. I've written it down and highlighted it. So I'm kind of interested in 
so the timing of us talking, I'm just really interested in because obviously we've got the lovely C word of coronavirus that, you know, we're all sick to death to hear about, but we've got to talk about it. Um, I'm interested in this and your take on it in terms of whether this is going to change and make it easier for us to be human. Because I think what's interesting now, and I'll give my other half as an example, you know, my other half is still in corporate. We've got a little 18 month old who every time he runs up to his laptop starts waving at the laptop and now just expects Zoom to be on. I mean, the poor little guy, (laughs) there's no one there and he's got no audience and no attention. You know, it's quite quite sad for him (laughs) but he just literally you know my other half can be in a massive meeting um with loads of people and he's you know in a senior leadership position and my little guy will just trot in and start waving and what's been really lovely about the company he works for which I I have been surprised about is how much they have encouraged people to just embrace it and go with it and they even had one meeting you know first week work week working from home where everyone had to bring along their kid and it was like look let's just get out of the way and break the ice of here's my kid here's my dog (laughs) you know here's my goldfish so I'm really um coming full circle what I'm interested to understand from you is how you think coronavirus will change or if it will change our ability to be a human manager yeah, so so starting with, again, back to the sort of the whole idea of uh, our anthropology as humans, we are such an adaptive species. So I am not surprised in the way that we've been able to adapt to what's going on, which is what I call business unusual at the moment. Okay. Um, one thing we need to be really conscious of, though, is this working from home that's going on at the moment is nothing like the working from home of six weeks ago. There's still there's homeschooling happening now. You know, there's there's a whole lot of other things that weren't in the picture before. So the first thing we've got to be careful of here is is thinking that this is the new normal because it's 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 not the new normal. From a human perspective, um, the interesting thing that there's, I have a I have I'm torn a bit here between again a, a, a Linsky quote between the relentless optimism that everything's going to change and be better. And the brutal reality that there's an old system that's been around for 100 years, the old management system I mentioned before, that is not going to give up its what it thinks is its rightful place without a fight. And, and what I mean by that is most people in management roles today are there because they've been rewarded by the old system. You know, as you said before, Abby, get better at what you do, sell more things, become a manager, get rewarded, get a bigger car and a bigger office and a better house and and a big fat bonus. So how much we can change and how much we can become more human is going to be absolutely dictated to by how much of that we're prepared to lose in order for the the, the way we turn up to work to gain. So I, I'm for me, the jury's out. The old system has had to bounce back before. When GFC happened, everything was going to change. Nothing really changed. Um COVID's a bit different because it's affecting every everybody, but we are still hardwired to survive. We are still hardwired to be rewarded by the things that have always rewarded us. So we're going to have to just let go of some of the the title and the power and, you know, the, the use of those things for evil instead of for good and do more of what you said before, you know, the first meeting with the kids in the meeting. It doesn't mean we do it every time, but... If we start doing those sorts of things, I think we can make some progress. But I think we've also got to be realistic and say that even if we made, even if we got halfway to where we started six weeks ago with all the wonderful things happening, halfway between that and the old system where 
you know, hierarchy rules and you speak when asked and all that sort of stuff. I think that will be good. But I guess finished with this about the human manager is you've got to be able to look back at yourself and say, what am I prepared to lose individually in order for workplaces to gain? And that's that's going to be the hardest thing because we don't want to lose. We, we don't want to lose as a species. Mm. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. It's a big, it's a bloody big question. And how do you think, um, I think one thing that's sort of bugging me at the moment is, you know, a lot of people who I'm speaking to are sort of saying, you know, I'm working until 1am because I'm trying to homeschool the kids. I'm trying to, um, you know, do my job. I'm trying to reply to all my emails and I'm doing a shit job of being a mum. I'm doing it or dad or, you know, parent. I'm a shit job at work and la la and I think at the moment there is almost a little bit of having to cut ourselves you know I'm the first one to go hard or go home I'm first one there but I think there is an element right now of cutting ourselves some slack and um you know appreciating exactly what you said you know as well we are all human we all have something even if you don't have kids right now there is something everyone has got something going on right now So, so how do you think right now so you know for the leaders listening how do you support your team at this time well, I think you've got a role, again, you've got a role model, the behaviour you're expecting from them. You you, um, you gave a great example before about your young fella. He walks up to the computer and waves to it because he's mirroring behaviours that he's seeing from other people, which is usually from his, his parents. It's no different in a manager-employee relationship. They will mirror the behaviour that they see. So if and in my first book, I've talked about six different types of managers, and one is a superhuman, that, that person that works you know, 25 hours a day, eight days a week, that person that, that that stays back late and comes in early and tells everyone in the meeting the next morning, oh, you know what, I worked till 11 last night and I'm back here at 7, like badge of honour. The thing you've got to do as a manager is you've got to stop being superhuman, all right, and you've got to start to behave in a way that you are saying that it's all right to give permission to others. Just because you've now got a fancy title, it doesn't mean you have to work more hours. It just means you need to work smarter. And and the other thing I'll say to that is your people know how to do their work, so stop getting in the way of them to mm. do their work in these times. Um, I know the other thing that's challenging, in, I look at my, I'm looking in my house, my wife's in our home office at the moment, I'm sitting out now in our lounge room doing this, but um, it's so easy at the moment to go, oh, I'm a bit bored, I'll just pop back into the home office, and all of a sudden you've done another two or three hours work I think you've got to also set as a great manager now you've got to actually set yourself some times to be mm. to be working for me at the moment uh, crazily enough 4 30 a.m to 6 seems to be the time when I can knock out um I'm, a, I'm an early riser so I, I seem to knock out enough work to almost get me through a day so yeah. the other thing that the managers should look at is let's not get too carried away about having everyone on zoom at 8 a.m when mm. it might be that Abby does her very best work at 8 p.m. because because the young fella's gone off to bed, so we've got to take all those things into into account. And um, and and I guess just the ability at the moment to to be able to adapt very very quickly to different people's working styles and working preferences um, in a different environment. If you can do that as a manager, I think you'll get a lot more out of your people in a lot less time. Yeah. I love that. And and that's so true. You know, I'm a real night owl and I constantly try and force myself to be a morning person, which is kind of pushing shit up. 
And I mean, my son is making me a morning person begrudgingly and the large coffee that goes with it. The other thing I love actually on this note, and I think it's something that I am seeing a few managers doing at the moment that I believe is working quite well. There's a line in your book, and I wish I'd, I actually have highlighted it, but I don't have it right in front of me, where you talk, someone asked about your strategy and you said it was a one-liner about having fun. Yeah. Um and it was just a brilliant one-liner that was your response to the strategy. And I just want to talk about having fun for a sec, because I think, in my opinion, some of the teams who are managing and doing well through coronavirus are actually having a bit of fun along the way. So even like my other half, his team, every Friday afternoon are having virtual drinks and they're playing mm. The other day they were playing um, virtual cards against humanity, which I didn't even know you could do. And if they had previously, you know, six weeks ago, done cards against humanity on a Friday afternoon with a beer, I don't think that would have been acceptable. So talk to us a bit about the fun factor. Yeah. That actually, not just fun because we want to hug each other and it sounds great, but actually breeds and delivers results. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you brought up that quote. My boss at the time, Nick Nusky, and a great fellow, really supportive. Um, we were all asked, all of our sales directors were asked to send him our strategy for getting our results for the year. And I just wrote back a one-liner that said, my strategy is that my people will be happy and have fun. I've just found uh, it, yeah. And, uh, and, he's, and he's just like, that's not a strategy. And I said, just trust me. So so the way that I worked it, it's a bit weird. Um, you, you'll relate to this and you, you might shudder at this because of your sales background. But when I took on this this team of, we, we, were, we were sales, we we're in a solutions role, so big, big deals um, across the business. And I said to them for the first three months, we weren't going to look at our financials. Now, imagine when you tell a salesperson they can't look at how they're tracking on their financials. They, they have a bit of a conniption. But uh, what I then said to them is we're going to focus on four things. We're going to focus on thankfulness, we're going to focus on helpfulness, we're going to focus on care, and we're going to focus on fun. So let's take fun for the, for the moment. The fun was um, literally finding time in the week to have a bit of fun. And we used to get together at 9.30 on a Monday morning and we'd go out for coffee and we would talk about possums in the roof and dragon boat racing and we would talk about kids and holidays and things like that. Um, there'd be banter, there'd be a bit of a piss take of each other, but we were just there to have fun. What it was doing, let's go back to what it is to be human, it was building a really deep connection and a strong sense of belonging. And look, then we'd do other things. We'd, you know, every six months we'd all get together as a national team and we'd, we would go away and we would, you know, learn how to do, you know, the, the games with African drumming to communicate or, or, you know, some sort of fun activity. But when you make people more aware that it's all right to have fun, then people will have fun. There's a big thing here, and I, I love what you said about your your, um, your hubby, is that when you give people permission to do it and you also become part of it and, and you know, him being part of that and putting his cards out, people will be like, he's a really cool human mm-hmm. and and he's building connection and we're having fun with him and it's not like him usually walking in and going, you know, how was your weekend? And by the way, you're 3% below your target. You need to pull your finger out of your backside. So um, there is nothing wrong with bringing fun into the workplace. In fact, most of my clients now say that one of the biggest changes they've made is they literally have sessions where they say, this is our session now to have a bit of fun. And fun doesn't mean you're not working. Fun means you're doing different work, which is the human work of connection and belonging. Yeah, I love that. And what I love the most about sort of what I've started looking at in terms of your work and your approach is 
you know, I am a very much, you know, I've got a business called The Execution Zone. I've got a sales consultancy business. I am definitely about the results as well. And, you know, what I love about it is it's not just this soft stuff. And like you talked about, you know, hugging kittens and unicorns and all the rest of it. Actually, it delivers in terms of the hard results and um, in terms of actually, you know, the numbers. It, it actually converts into numbers. Well, the greatest, you know, the greatest, um, the, the proof's in the pudding. Year one with that team, we ended up 238% ahead of our sales target. So in year two, what do they usually do to you, Abby, when you hit your target by 238%? Your target was too low? Bump yep. it up. <laughs> so it, it, went up by, it went up three times. It went, they tripled my target in year two for our team. And we sort of sat there and went, oh, shit. And, and, and it was a bit like, do we have to go back to the old way? And we're like, no, no, let's keep having fun and let's keep being thankful and helpful. And and, and the other thing I'm going to say, let's keep having some really robust conversations. In that, like Sometimes people would come into our meetings and go, you guys don't like each other. And we're like, no, 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 we're just speaking our truth and saying what needs to be said. Mm-hmm. On a triple target in year two, we hit it by 198%. And what I'll say is I know this for a fact now working with my clients is when you get this human stuff right, it compounds that quickly that the results that you get are the results you never thought you'd be able to achieve because, you know, you've added in great technicians at their work, overlaid it with the human stuff. Um, that's the most powerful business model that you can create. Yeah. And I want to circle back on you talked before about in terms of point number seven was around we learn best when we're being stretched. That's an I So I agree with that. I actually did an Instagram post this morning um, and put one of my favorite quotes is growth and comfort do not coexist. I love that quote. It's all time favorite. So I, I do agree with that. What I find interesting and I'm really curious to get your take on this is when you're leading other people in a team, what's the fine line? So you talked about, for, you gave the example before of saying to someone, okay, you lead the team meeting this week. Now I know some people who I've previously managed or people who now I'm a virtual sales manager to would almost have a heart attack and die at the prospect of that. So the balance between stretching someone out of their comfort zone to develop them versus pushing them too far and finding that line. So can you talk to us a bit about learning best by being stretched and going about yeah, it? Yeah, sure. Um, I think you've, you've raised an, a really, really important point here. One of the greatest challenges in the dance of this human management stuff is that you need to look at each person and you need to meet them where they're at. This is a really important point that so, for instance, if I if I if you were working for me, Abby, and I and I got to know you well enough, and got to know you as a person, but also got to know you in in on how much you want to be stretched to do things, and that's because I spend time with you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually not just speaking about your results; I'm actually checking in. How are you feeling? How's this? Um, and you you might say to me, you know what, Mark? I, I actually I need to be stretched again right now. What sort of things would you like to do, Abby? Um, can I represent the group at a meeting? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes you just by asking the people, you can find that out. Do, we should never we should never say that Abby's the same as Mark. And see, Mark might be petrified of speaking in front of people. And if you send him into that meeting to do it and he, and he cocks it up, all of a sudden everyone's looking at Mark going, oh, Mark's not very good at what he does. And then they're looking at someone else and going, why did you send him in there? So you've just got to... I think spending time with your people to understand, you know, I look at there's three things. Again, I've got these three circles in my book. It's it's not it's, this isn't new. 
the middle circle is comfortably comfortable. This is like laying on the couch with your comfy slippers on and just flicking through the TV channels and that's all good, yeah? Yeah, I love this. The, the, the outside circle is called uncomfortably uncomfortable, which is I, I say that for me is like when, when, when someone asks me at a, at a function, my, my, I've only ever danced really f- three times in my life formally, my wedding and my, two, my daughter's two formals, but I'm shitting myself that much that I've got to do it because I'm petrified. I'd rather be pulling my fingernails out than dancing. So I'm distressed by that. So I need to know how what distresses people by asking him that. You know, some people will tell me, I don't want to speak in front of people. Okay. But we'll build them up to that over time. It's the circle in the middle, comfortably uncomfortable, is where I spend a lot of my time as a human manager and now as a consultant working with my people to go, what can we do to stretch you past your comfort zone? What would be some of the things that that you want to get better at but you, you're feeling like you're – I can sort of feel the butterflies in my tummy now. Yeah, look, I'll have a go at it. So you've got to, you've got to spend that time talking to your people, but you've also got to let them know this too, that if you spend too much time in comfortably comfortable, you do not develop. If you spend too much time in uncomfortably uncomfortable, you end up in the corner of the room sucking your thumb in the fetal position. And neither of those things are good for people's development. So that's, I guess, a long-winded way of saying it, but meet people where they're at, get to know them really well, understand what they what really stretches them versus what they could they could tolerate, and then challenge them to step into that space. Mm. And it's interesting because everyone wants something a little bit different. You know, I'm a massive fan of DISC. I really like it. And what I find is I've got some clients who, you know, you and I jumped onto the podcast. We actually started talking for ages and we just straight away sort of clicked and started talking. And, you know, we were happy. You were happy to share about your son. I was sharing about my son. And, you know, that that was sort of natural. Um, I've got some clients who are quite high D on the profile and will literally, you know, if I was to say, how was your weekend and how's your little boy and how's this and how's that? It's almost like I'm torturing them because they don't enjoy some of the small talk as much. They just want to cut to the chase and they just Mm. want to get on. So us all going out and having a coffee is almost like the biggest waste of time ever. Um, And even like some of the activities, I once did a diploma in positive psychology and they did an art activity, which I thought was the most fun thing ever. And I'm like making stick men and like the inner child in me and other people it really, really bothered them because they're like, well, I can't do art and I'm not creative. And this makes, this reminds me of when I was a kid and I couldn't, whatever. And it was like, whoa, like put people in different places. So I guess sort of I'm waffling there, but what I'm trying to get to around your talking about get to know your people. What I think is interesting when you're managing quite a big team is there's so many different preferences there that you've got to balance and juggle and fun for one person is not fun for another. So how the hell do you make it fun for everyone? Do you, do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, you know what? You're not waffling. You're making a, a, a super point here. I'm going to talk about a couple of things with this. Um, the first thing is is there is far too much corporate astrology that goes on. So what colour are you? What letter are you? Like I, 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 I've been... I've been psychometrically profiled for 20 years. And you know what? I actually enjoyed it because I'm, I'm a curious soul about where I'm at. The great danger of corporate astrology is that people then hang on to a title. Well, I'm this, therefore I'm going to be this way. I'll give you a quick example. You know, you talk about high Ds. I have a client who just, um, you know, no names, no pack drill, but we were talking one day and he got a phone call 
and it was from home. And he was talking to me and, and he was talking and he goes, no, I've got to go. And I, and, and I stopped him and said, no, you don't. You go and take that call. And, he, and, he, and, and I could see he was uncomfortable with it, but he went and took it and he came back and he told me what it was about. And he goes, you know, it's not re- it wasn't really that important. And I said, important to who? And he's like, me. And I said, you don't get it. It was important to that person what needed to be done. What I'm going to tell you about that person and I'm delighted about is they've moved away from this high D, high blue person to they're still in blue, but they've now got this part to them that's I understand there's other things that I need to be doing that are important in my life, my family, some time for myself, some time for my people. Um, I think we've got to be really careful that we use these labels to be able to keep ourselves where we want to be in a comfortable position because if I just kept saying I'm a high blue, well, I'm not going to be stretched to become, to add something else into my kit bag. So I hope I'm not waffling on too much, but I, in my second book, I write about this. I won't use the word that I use because it's, it's it's, it starts with the letter F, but corporate astrology is a mind and you can put the last word onto the end of that. Um, <laughs> but I'm really pleased you told that story because I do think it's I do think it's interesting and I'm a bit of a um so I'm super competitive and at the moment anything that I'm my way of sort of fixing um initially sort of the coronavirus sort of first couple of weeks was I challenged myself on all the things I said I couldn't do and fixed mindset so you saying mm. you know ID or I'm not blue or whatever you know it is um it's actually I love the concept of challenging any of those perceptions and fixed mindsets. And one of mine recently, and it's really stupid, was I can't skip. And so I was learning with a skipping rope because it was anything that I had defined, I am this or I am not that, I wanted to challenge. And I think there's quite mm. a lot of power in doing that. Well, it's interesting at the moment. I'll, I, I'll just show you this. I'll just show you this thing right here now. At the moment at home, now I've got adult kids. For those who can't see, it's a paper mache pig. We have had we've had paper mache making competitions between myself, my wife, my twenty one year old daughter, and her her twenty one year old partner, um, because we're actually going back to doing things that we used to do that we didn't think we could do anymore, and that should be the same in the workplace, Abby. It's like if you if you say you're this and you're always going to be this, well, I'm going to tell you you're going to disappear up your own backside at some point in time. Because the world is going to go past you in the way that it looks at how we manage people. And, you know, for all you high blues out there listening to this, um, just be careful because you may become a lot less relevant after COVID because people are going to expect something a bit different. So I want to dig into, you know, the theme, execution, into sort of putting this into action. Sure. thing that sort of struck me when I was sort of reading your work was I thought, okay, for me right now as a business owner, there's absolutely, I can go, okay, cool, we're going to implement, you know, some fun, we're going to implement this, we're going to get rid of KPIs, we're going to throw them away, or, you know, whatever it might be. However, for some people who are in an employee position where they don't have the authority to go, you know what, we're going to get rid of those KPIs, or you know what, we're going to, you know, just abandon ship on that idea, or we're going to implement fun. They might not have the ability to do that, particularly in a corporate world, you know, where you do have to go several layers above you to get that sort of approval. So I guess I want to talk about how do you execute when you're not the person steering the ship? Mm, What a question. Um, This is where we talked about this before the podcast. It's like, you know, you sort of you grow up in the the organisation and you just nod your head. And you keep nodding your head because if you nod your head, you keep 
progressing. And, you know, that's sort of gaming the system in some respects. If you can do two things here, you can whinge and, and moan about it at the water cooler or you can speak up with good, and I'm going to say this, this is really important, you can speak up with good intention to help the organisation to maybe see what it can't see now. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, I wonder how many reports that people usually have had to write every week are not being written at the moment and no one's missing them. Mm, I I wonder how many KPI sheets that we looked at every week we're not looking at and it's not really impacting on the results in the business. I think this is an amazing opportunity at the moment for anyone, and I talked about leadership before as, a, as an act. This is a great opportunity for anyone in an organisation who are noticing some of the practices that we had in place that, that really were just, they were just historical practices, cultural practices, things that we did because we've always done that. The opportunity for those people without a title is just to is 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 to be. I'm going to say this is not to be, not to be condescending about it, but to be curious about it and say this. I wonder if that report that we've always done, we should be doing that still, because mm-hmm. no one seems to be, no one's doing it at the moment, and no one seems to be missing it. Um, so I'm going. What I would say to people in that space where they, you know, they don't have. Um, hierarchical positional power as such, but they can they can certainly influence by being more curious and and then challenging the system in a in a way with good intention to to just say I wonder if we need to do these things anymore. I wonder if we could use that time better to delight our customers, to build better engagement, to to challenge each other, and maybe develop each other better. So. The only thing with that, Abby, is that there is risk associated with it and some people will be very risk-averse because they're brought up in a system that tells you to speak when asked. And I think we've got a – this is our great opportunity as human beings to find a little bit of our courage and and just challenge the system. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. And I think the exciting thing for me is, you know, so many <laughs> – during the whole coronavirus thing, so many examples have come out of leaders who have sort of um, been created or emerged, I should say, emerged um, from some of the previous tough times. So then leaders that emerged from the GFC and from war and from those sorts of things. And I think that's what's quite exciting, that I think it does create opportunities for other people to step up and lead, even if it's like you said earlier on, you don't necessarily have to have the job title with it, but you might be leading within your team or organisation in a different way and actually come out of this situation um, almost being viewed in a different light, if that makes sense. Yeah, and look, I, I, let me share a very quick story to demonstrate how this works really well. I had, a, I had an amazing young, um, it was in the graduate program for me back at Australia Post, a lovely young lady called Robin Lambropoulos. And um, she came in as a marketing graduate and she came into my team and we were having, we used to have these meetings every eight weeks that I'd run, you know, look at me up the front doing my thing. It's so good. And and I just sensed one day that things weren't going all that well. And I asked the question of the group, what's going on? And 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 all of the all of the longer termers there all sort of dropped their heads. And Robin, the 20, I think 23-year-old graduate, said, This is boring. <laughs> And um, and I'm like, shit. And then and then I'm like, tell me more. And she goes, well, we're doing the same stuff that we do every time we get together. And, uh, and you know what I say to that? That is that's exactly the thing I talked about before. Robin 
took a risk and demonstrated leadership. Then I asked all of the old crusty old dudes like me that have been around forever, what are you thinking? And they've started saying things like, well, you know, the strategic imperative of the um, thing that we're trying to do. And I'm like, don't bullshit me. Just tell me what you think. And they're like, it's boring. Understanding that different people will step into their leadership at different times is important. But what this did for us is I then took the opportunity to allow my people to run most of the meeting to develop themselves. And we had much better meetings and I only got 15 minutes instead of the whole day. And they didn't think I was such a wanker then because it was just my time. So, so, you know, I guess leadership can happen everywhere. And I just think this is the time for, this is when the surprising things are going to happen, when the Robin moments will happen. And I think as a manager, you've just got to be able to accept when it happens and go, don't take this personally, Mark take it as something that's going to help you to learn and grow. And, and that's, and I, you know, I, I know Robin's carved out a really successful career in uh, in the HR space now in organisational development, and she's doing that because she speaks her, speaks her mind and finds her voice. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story. That is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant story. <laughs> so on, so, so sort of finishing on the execution piece, I think... Yep. If people are in, so I'm certainly feeling inspired by this. If people are feeling inspired and right, let's put this into practice. How do I sort of go about this in my organization? We sort of talked earlier about the first steps being more about looking in the mirror, finding, you know, doing a bit of self-reflection first um, and starting with building trust. Is that sort of, you know, if we had to sum up, right, you're inspired by the podcast, let's go execute, let's put it into action. Is that the steps to get, get firing? It's funny. I'm just looking at them now. The very first thing I say is that it starts with you. You, you are the. You know, life is full of. Ex- life is just a whole lot of experiments. Whether you're outside of work, inside of work, work is an experiment. I'm, I'm sorry if people, if it doesn't sound as grandiose as it should, work is an experiment. So you've got to start with you as the experiment. What are you prepared to change about yourself? And the other thing I say there is you must go first. Mm. If you're a manager and you want things to change, you better role model the change that you want to see in order for your people to feel safe enough to take the permission. Um, The other thing I'm going to say is get yourself a bloody mirror and take it and put it in your office somewhere or at your desk and have it in a spot where every now and again when you're getting, you know, ahead of yourself, just have a look in the mirror and go, what the hell's going on here? So just, you know, I, I have three questions I ask myself every three months now because... I, at times, get too far ahead of myself. My ego takes over. My wife's great at knocking it back out of me. But I ask myself these three questions. Why this? Why am I doing this work? The second question is why now? Why right now is this work important? And the third question, which is the hardest one to answer, is why is it me? Why me doing this work? So this could be be great questions for managers to be asking themselves right now. You know, if I'm going to change to be something different, more human in my approach, I've started to dabble in it with my meetings and whatnot. Why is this important? Why is it important now? And why is it me that's going to be the person that uh, does it? I think that's the starting point to everything. I've been using that for six years now, every three months, those questions, and it just refocuses and re-centres me back to, not trying to get too far ahead of myself as, you know, the self-appointed human manager of the world. <laughs> Slash Bogan. <laughs> Slash Bogan. 
I love those questions. They are so, so powerful. I've just written those down. So I want to, before we let you go, I want to change tact with um, one question. I don't let anyone go without asking them about their own sort of high performance habits. Um, I'm really curious um, for people who have sort of really developed themselves like you have. um, And, you know, you've really started working in a field of expertise that just works for you and you know pushed yourself and gone out of your comfort zone as you talk to and and I think a lot of people have some awesome rituals and high performance habits that sort of support them to do that what is it for you if any um that are your absolute non-negotiable go-to um high performance habits um the, the first one for me and it's only really something that I've really been practicing very very consistently for now about 18 months which is um is physical exercise. Um, I I am a yo-yo between, you know, I've got up to 110. I'm sitting at about 90 now, but I've been around 90 for, and I don't use, weight's not the, the big measure here. It's more about what's going on up, up in my mind. But, um, you know, six times a week um, I'm exercising, whether it be um, a pretty high-intensity session for 30 minutes or it's a longer, longer, more drawn-out, boring session of riding a bike for an hour just to get my heart rate somewhere. But, I think there's a discipline in that, and I know this for, for a fact. When I'm fit, when I'm physically fit and I'm mentally fit, my work is so much better. The, the quality of what I deliver to my clients is so much better. Like people see me today from some pictures of two years ago and they're like, oh, yeah, we used to think you were, we just used to think you were big boned, but, you know, you were, weren't big boned. You were actually carrying a fair bit of weight and you looked sloppy. And, and I'm happy to hear that feedback. So the first one is is putting together some sort of physical exercise routine. Um, lots of people talk about mind, mindfulness and those sorts of things. Look, if I can sit for a day for just two minutes and just, I call it just quiet time, I try and do that. I'm, I don't do it every day, but just the routine of some quiet time is good. Um, I bought a guitar when I was 40, so 13 years ago I, I bought a guitar and I, I'll pick that up every other day and just strum that for 15 minutes. It just takes a bit of the, you know, the, the tension out of what's going on. And I think the other one, the other routine is is my four words that I say every day, the purpose behind my work is making every human belong. So, you know, that's a big task to be able to do that. But when I wake up in the morning, I say to myself, what am I going to do today to make one human being feel like they belong? And then at the end of the day, I like put my head on the pillow and go, Think about that moment where you did that today and just be grateful for it. And mm. I think they're good things because, you know, we are, again, we're a hardwired species to think of danger and negative things. The other routine is just that positivity of, hey, mate, you've been helpful. Keep doing this work because it's important work. I think they're the, they're the things that um, I do. There's a whole lot of other things I'd love to do, Abby, but... Um, I haven't been quite courageous enough to go and have dancing lessons at the moment. That might be the next thing for me. I feel like I'm going to put a placeholder in my diary for like a year's time and come back and go, have you danced in the past year? (laughs) (laughs) I'll come with my skipping rope and you can (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can teach me to dance. I, I skip pretty well. I do a bit of boxing and skipping. So maybe we can swap some tips on that sort of thing. Uh, I'm learning to dance at the moment from my 18-month-old and it's a completely different sort of bopping dance. So, um, yeah, we've got a totally different style going on in this household. There's no reason. Love it. 
Uh, so look, um, I have absolutely loved having you on. Um, I've personally got so much out of this. I've written so many notes of questions and I love good journal questions and there's a few that I've written down there. Um, if people want to find out more about you or connect with you, what's the best way um, to find you? Where do you hang out? Yeah, um, so the best place to go in regards to, um, you know, products, books, whatever, the sort of stuff that I do, I've got a, there's a free news, monthly newsletter that comes out. They can subscribe to that. My podcasts are also on there is www.marklebusk. It's L-E-B-U-S-Q-U-E.com. That's my, my website. Um, you know, there's LinkedIn. Um, I, 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 I'm a massive fan of LinkedIn. I have, um, mm. for my own business, LinkedIn has been an absolutely amazing funnel for opportunity and, and just you know blogging on LinkedIn and that so so if people reach out to me on LinkedIn to connect uh, I'll connect with you if someone then tries to send me something to sell me something straight away I'll get rid of them very quickly I just want people to be clear of that I want to build a connection with people before we start to go down that that path um, I got a Facebook group called the human manager in brackets people before profit um, Instagram the human manager um, you know Twitter all of the channels. I'm a bit of a social animal. I spend far too much time on social media. Um, I yeah. spend so too much time trying to promote myself. I think, but uh, they, they'd be the best, um, the best places to go to. Okay, cool. And I've just written them down, so I will add them to the show notes. Thank you very much. No, Mark, thank you for coming on. I've absolutely loved it, and I'm sure everyone would have got a hell of a lot out of that. So thank you for being such an amazing guest. Hey, look, it's my pleasure, and thank you for doing what you do as well because bringing this stuff to to the world is 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 about being helpful. So you, you're being super helpful. What a good human you are. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'll take that as my feel-good moment for the day. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you'll be the first to hear about our new episodes as they're released. And don't forget to check out our website, theexecutionzone.com, to find out our latest events and about our membership options.